Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. We are now joined by Tim Brando, Fox Sports. We appreciate his time. He has been busy as hell with uh, multiple games a couple of different weeks. Tim, thank you for being a part of, uh, of what we do and also what you do and sharing your college football stories uh, how much was there a time when you were earlier on in your career or whatever that you paid much attention to recruiting? No, no, I've um, I've never been. Now I keep up with who the top recruits are once they've made their decisions and who's going to play where. I've often uh, bemoaned uh, the non uh, the non sports day that is signing day and how much time was was wasted uh, by. Um, magazines and networks, and, and I know a lot of guys have made their careers based on it, and and the ones that are really good at it, I, I applaud them, you know, for doing their jobs and for turning it into something. But no, I've, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got enough trouble making sure I know who's where once they get to college, as opposed to having to worry about what what school they're they're going to choose. And you know, a little bit like when uh, when ESPN made the choice to. Uh, cover LeBron James's games in high school. I thought that was a horrible mistake uh, because it it just you know I think it's too soon for any player at any level at high school to be celebrated as you know the king of something. It soured me on him. It really did. Now you know God knows he's one of the greatest players of all time, but I I felt that way then. I, I think a high school football game is great to have on TV. If it's a Thanksgiving Day game and a rivalry, like like one year when I was at ESPN, we did this um, Thanksgiving Day game at Lafayette College at Leopard Stadium, uh, and um, uh, Stan White, the old linebacker from Ohio State, and I called the game, and uh, Corso went with us because we were the game day crew, and Carrie Ross, our sideline reporter, that was our reporter on game day back in those days, she was our sideline reporter. It was Phillipsburg against Easton, Pennsylvania, right on the New Jersey-Pennsylvania uh, border. You know, games like that that are high school games being televised, and I think we put it on at 10 o'clock in the morning to have something to put on opposite the Rose Bowl parade. And it was a it was a novel idea. Our old programming executive, uh, Lauren Matthews, God rest his soul, had that idea, and, and uh, it was well watched, and it was uh, it was a success. But I'm not a big fan of the, hey, I'm going to put the uh, caps out, and then I'll, you know, fake like I'm picking up this. I, I can't stand that stuff. I, I don't like it at all. I will say to your point that you were making just as I hopped on, the transfer portal is a lot more fun to keep an eye on from distance. You know, I, I – I kept an eye on recruiting from distance as I do the portal, and it is a lot more because it's 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 instantaneous. You know that in recruiting, you don't know if you got a uh, you know Charlie Weiss had two uh, number one uh, recruiting classes at Notre Dame. He he never really won anything there, 
okay? Because you don't know how long these guys are going to stay. And if they are a top class, uh, how, how many of them will actually uh, stay and get through and, and finish there? You never know. When you're dealing with a portal, you're getting instant uh, impact from whoever that that person is that's going to come on your team. And I think that um, we've seen this year, especially with the balance that's out there in college football, because there are no dominant teams, what is really helping, it was we were already going towards flattening the landscape with a distribution of talent that was more evenly uh, matched. Now, with the portal, it's really underscoring that. I mean, uh, what a year it would be if we had 12 in now. Hell, I think you can make a case that 15 or 16 teams right now could make a case that they could win it all if they had a chance to get in a playoff. You know, so, and we're finding that out in the final year of the four, which I think will just whet everyone's appetite for the future. Tim, every once in a while you have a guest in the show and they say something, you realize why you like them so much, and you and I are completely simpatico on recruiting. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. – I, I feel that exact same way. Uh, Tim, Georgia had that scare against Auburn. Uh, they're still a fantastic team that's deeper than probably everybody else. Are they – and this is not their fault that the schedule fell this way, but are they a little bored? Yeah, and I think America is bored with them okay um i i watched very closely this past weekend and when i got back in i did that friday game last week at oregon state so i had a chance to watch a little bit more football on saturday than i normally would and listen that is as poor uh you freeze coached offense as you're going to see at auburn all right they had them on the ropes i mean seriously on the ropes should have probably won the game and if Brock Bowers is not on the field, they do win the game. All right. And and tell me where the playmaker on the Georgia program is that's not the tight end, Brock Bowers. I, I don't see one. Uh, I don't see the receivers I saw a year ago. Uh, I think Carson Beck is highly overrated. Uh, he, he's not. He's certainly not as good as the quarterback that for years the Georgia fans bemoaned was never good enough. We need to make a change. Why can't we put in JT Daniels? And he went about the business of winning two straight national championships. Um, Georgia is ready to be beaten, and I think Kentucky is capable. I really do. Um, Kentucky's playing well at bo- on both sides of the ball. They have a quarterback now that can really sling it, and they're more willing to have explosive plays. Uh, if Georgia answers the bell because they are so much deeper than everybody else, and I know they are, uh, you know, Kirby has recruited beautifully, but uh, the only thing separating Kirby Smart from Dabo Sweeneyland from discounting the transfer portal altogether is the quality competition, which his team has not yet played this season. So Georgia uh, still has a, a very weak schedule to play, even by SEC standards. Right, take, take away the non-con, which is a joke, but even if you look at the SEC, the teams that are playing are weak. But I still think they're very capable of screwing the pooch and not getting to the national championship this year. I, I would be shocked if this Georgia team is playing for the national title. Tim, another interesting game of the SEC this week. Uh, LSU coming off of that loss to Ole Miss. I know our, our producer here, Garrett's a big LSU fan. He's just he's beside mm-hmm. himself with their, their defense, especially. 
And meanwhile, we've got Mizzou with this 5-0 and start. Um, the big win over Kansas State being the highlight. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on just all the implications here and, and where both teams kind of arrive uh, on Saturday uh, in, uh, in Missouri? Well, DBU is now CTU, okay? <laughs> the, 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 the secondary that was DBU is now CTU can't tackle you, okay? <laughs> yeah. they, they, run, they run from one-on-one situations when they are uh, trying to make a play in space. Uh, that last touchdown, Ole Miss got, they had three members of their secondary, one closer to the boundary, another directly in front of the receiver, Another one just they had, they had him sandwiched from the hash mark into the boundary, and he scored with ease. <laughs> it was like, what am I watching here? Um, if you didn't know better, you would say that maybe the coaches on defense told the guys, "Look, right of timeouts, let them score." Now I know they didn't do that, but <laughs> if you were a fan of your team and you were trying to win the game your better chance of winning if you were LSU was for that kid to go ahead and score with the hopes that you'd get the ball. And they almost did, obviously. You know, they had a ball into the end zone that could have been caught that Daniels threw, or they may have won the game. Uh, one of the areas about the portal that is susceptible for for being problematic is, is what you're seeing in Baton Rouge. They lost a ton of guys on defense, especially their secondary, and they got a bunch of portal guys back there that either A, aren't getting it yet, or B, uh, aren't all in. Okay, they are not all in on playing the kind of defense that LSU wants them to play. It's got to be one or the other. Uh, Perkins, who's one of the most dynamic players individually in college football, because of what they've done defensively, has been a non-factor this year. Uh, so to me, one of two things is going to happen in Missouri. Either this spiral uh, downward is going to continue because these these transfers that they were counting on don't get it. And I thought we got a good sign of them giving up on LSU in the second half of that Florida State game. Okay, they rolled over, and LSU had a very good chance to win the game against Ole Miss, but that defense rolled over for Lane Kiffin's team, and they lost in Oxford. So there's two indicators right there that they're ripe for the picking for Eli Drinkwitz's team. Uh, but I think that they are so good offensively, and I think that there is enough uh, pride, if you will, in, in the LSU defense and its team, its standing as a national program, that they'll bounce back, win this game. And if they win it, I'll submit to you that I believe they'll win every game left on their schedule, including Alabama, who's uh, a one-dimensional team, who will be exposed this week, A&M, in my opinion, wins this game. Milrow cannot become a passer and win the game. All A&M's got to do defensively is force him to throw the ball. Once they do that, it's ball game. And the Aggies have too many athletes on defense. Their offense, I thought, was showing some signs of recovery last week. The right guy is a quarterback by default. The kid from LSU that transferred in should have been the starter at the beginning of the year, in my opinion. And I think that they've got now the kind of leader that you want. And Milrow has never played. I mean, never played as a starting quarterback in the SEC in a place like um, Texas A&M. And uh, you you watch. A&M wins this game, and I think they win this game with authority. 
Tim, have you ever done the Texas OU game? No, I have not. I was, I've done okay. Texas, Texas A&M. I've done Auburn, Alabama. I've done Alabama A&M. I've, I've, but no, I've, I've never done the Red River rivalry. I suspect that I probably won't <laughs> now that they're going into the SEC. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, it was the first game I ever attended, Smoke. Okay. Uh, a State Fair game of 1962 when they were filming the movie State Fair with uh, Pat Boone and Ann Margaret and Bobby Darren uh, at the Cotton Bowl. I'll never forget it. My dad uh, and my uncle uh, took me to the game. And uh, as a six-year-old, uh, it was amazing. You know, everyone dressed to the nines. The stadiums, uh, the stadium was um, unique in, in as much as you had uh, one side and one side. And you, if you were not, if you didn't have a dog in the hunt, we didn't, uh, you were just amazed at what you were seeing. Yeah, even as a six-year-old, you know, you really were. Tim Brando, Fox Sports, with us on 365 Sports. 1962 and Market. Holy cow. That's a, <laughs> that's a memory right there. Did you see the movie? Did you see the movie? I'm going to did now. You, did you see the movie? I'm going Stay to now. Just, uh, yeah, it's it's an all-timer. It's a musical, and it's a, it's a great old-time movie. Uh, state Fair. My State Fair is a great State Fair. I used to call it the State Fair game when I was hosting game day because, um, you know, to me, uh, living on the border of Louisiana and Texas, uh, we always wanted to go to the State Fair in Texas first because two weeks later the State Fair would be in Shreveport. And so uh, it was a nice – ours wasn't quite as big, but we knew what to expect if we went to the State Fair in Texas. <laughs> Tim, um, do you – feel like USC's game against Colorado is any kind of indicator of, of that they haven't really gotten better on defense like they needed to? I dropped them like a lead balloon <laughs> in my poll. And I had seen them and was impressed with the changes in their defense. I thought that uh, Bear Alexander, the five-star transfer from Georgia that's playing the zero technique in the middle, was getting a bull rush, and he was occupying at least two, sometimes three guys, and still getting the quarterbacks. I thought uh, getting Mason back, the transfer from Oklahoma State, at middle linebacker was going to help them, and uh, I was wrong. Uh, I got an early indicator about what would happen with Colorado when I saw them almost lose the game with Arizona State, a team that was playing with its fourth starting quarterback, uh, and a kid named Scadaboo, who was the FCS player of the year, who had over 200 yards of total yards and was not only running the ball and a 62-yard touchdown, touchdown pass catch that was incredible. He pulled over three different uh, USC players to get there. Uh, but he also threw a pass. They had him in a wildcat throwing the ball. He, he, he put together a quick kick. Uh, Cam Scadaboo, remember that name. He's a hell of a talent. Uh, for Arizona State, they had the ball down six with uh, – down seven, excuse me, down seven with uh, seven minutes to play. And, I mean, that was a 34-point underdog. So I, I had a real inclination that, that Colorado would cover, and it took USC's offense just uh, taking a deep breath after they got a 28-point lead for Shadur Sanders to, to take off and USC's defense to get sloppy. Um, USC is not a, a national championship caliber team because of their defense. Their offense is embarrassment of riches. Mm. 
more wide receivers and, and tight ends than you could imagine. Caleb Williams is arguably the best quarterback in the country. I don't think he'll win the Heisman the second straight time because of the way the Heisman voting is handled now versus the way it was with R.G. Griffin in the 70s. But he's not getting much help. Uh, and there are defenses in the USC that are, as you know, very good. Oregon State's one of them. Uh, we saw that uh, on display against Utah on Friday night. Utah clearly is still one of the great defenses. Good enough to beat USC twice a year ago. Uh, the line of scrimmage in the Pac-12 is actually pretty good. It's one of the reasons why it's the best league in the country right now. And I say that, and fellas, even my friends in SEC country, I'm not getting a lot of pushback. Uh, the balance of, of really good to great teams in the Pac-12 now is off the charts. Wazoo, Oregon State, uh, Oregon, Utah, UCLA is much better defensively. UCLA's defense is a hell of a lot better than USC's right now. And um, next week, by the way, you mentioned that Spencer and I had two games uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have two games again next week. We're going to go into Houston for that West Virginia game on Thursday night next week. And then we're going to fly back to Corvallis for a Saturday tilt between Oregon State and UCLA, which, which I think is going to be a hell of a, hell of a game, hell of a game. Uh, the Pac-12, everyone's expecting them to cannibalize, fellas, but I, I think one or two of these teams might emerge. Uh, in the past, they all, always have cannibalized, but they're so good now up front, some of these teams, that if they really just catch up and button up other areas of their game, their defenses are good enough uh, to get to the CFP. I really believe that. Tim, big game for uh, Tech and Baylor this Saturday night in Waco as somebody will get to 500, have won a couple in a row after a, a bad start yeah. for both teams and, and will be 2-1 and one in Big 12 play. But obviously, as I'm sure you and, and everybody else saw Baylor with the incredible win mm. last weekend over UCF, just curious of, of your thoughts on that. And also, uh, for you as a broadcaster, what does the greatest comeback call evoke for you in terms of your career? And uh, maybe a game that you thought, like, this is so over, and then you <laughs> found yourself calling a thriller by the end of it. Yeah, I've had a few of those. Uh, I've had quite a few of those. Uh, some that uh, were, were far back, but still uh, really good games. Uh, uh, years ago uh, in the SEC, I, I thought well, the Arkansas's first win at Tuscaloosa against Alabama when Danny Ford was, was quarterbacking. And, and the kid, J.J. Metters, caught a, cat, uh, caught a touchdown pass that was a little controversial. We didn't have replay back then. Did he trap it or did he catch it? Uh, the sideline went wild. Alabama thought they had it put away. Stallings was coaching the tie back then. I want to say Freddie Kitchens may have been uh, his quarterback at that time. So it was probably 95, 96. Uh, and, and Alabama had a, a, a two-score lead. That's one that kind of jumps out at me. But there are many others. What happened, when well, you're talking 21 egg, okay, and you're one in three, uh, I think maybe the light came on for Baylor. And I know they've been banged up. Shapen uh, being out of the lineup certainly didn't help uh, early in the year. But I think that there's a rallying cry uh, taking place. But this is also a Texas Tech team as you guys know, I thought would be much better. You know, I, I'm, the Big 12 has had a hard time this year on the field. It's still doing great off the field. You know, as, as, as we watch, as I'm going back to do another Pac-12 game next week, you know, the Pac-12 death march is, is really taking them up this yellow brick road 
to supremacy in college football this year. But the good news for the Big 12 is they inherit some of those teams, and uh, and it's going to be fun for them uh, when they do. And I, and I would highly recommend, by the way, that the, 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 the conference take a long look at that land-grant institution in Oregon and the one in Washington, too. I, I, I really would because those two programs, even though they don't bring great markets, their product is really good, Wazoo's product and Oregon State's. Um, the Texas Tech uh, losing the game the way they lost it at Wyoming, uh, and I've got them, as you know, on Saturday night in our Fly in the Ointment title game between Fresno State and, and Wyoming and Laramie. Uh, I think, listen, the, the winner of that game will be a New Year's Six. I think they'll be the Tulane of this year. I, I really think that. Uh, those are the two best non-Power 5 teams that I've seen. Uh, but but I think that there's without question a chance for either Texas Tech or Bama. The winner of this game could flip the switch and really be a tough out the rest of the way, which is something that, frankly, both Texas and OU need. You know, to, to for the Big 12 to sort of see, I'm guessing this is why your mark's not there on Saturday at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, he knows Greg Sankey is going to be there. And to watch Texas and OU play a de facto uh, Big 12 uh, title game preview uh, this early in the season, knowing they're going to the SEC. Maybe not what he had in mind. Uh, <laughs> it would be, it would be, it would be really good, I think, to see one of these teams that we thought were going to be good, K State, TCU, that lost last week to West Virginia. Somebody step up. I mean, right now, other than OU and Texas, who besides West Virginia has a good story to tell at this stage? Tim, would you take Neil Brown off the hot seat? Yeah, yeah, absolutely I would. Yeah, I think uh, uh, that win at TCU was big time. And and they did it with a couple of uh, magnificent plays by their special teams uh, to get two blocked field goals uh, to ice that game away. I think at least one of those two, I'm sure Sonny felt like, oh, my God, at least one of those has got to you know get in the air. How does that not happen? Uh, but that was a huge win for West Virginia, especially when you consider they had two players carted off the field in the middle of the game. I mean, how many times does that happen on the road where you have two influential players get carted off and, and you come away with a huge road win quite like that? So I'm impressed with West Virginia and with Neil Brown. He needed it. He absolutely needed it because if he was staring at the same record that uh, – um, Aranda's staring at right now, they would, oh, they'd be burning more than couches in Morgantown. <laughs> Tim, I know that there's a company now that helps with the laminated spotter boards. You showed us one that you have, and I'm sure right there next to part of where you are sitting in your man cave to do two games in one week. I've I, again, in, in a radio type style, all of us have here on the set and it's not easy. Yeah. What is that like? Is that a sledgehammer of a week? Yeah, you don't. I don't feel it until it's over. Yeah, I don't feel it until it's over. What 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 you do is now. The last time we had that happen, we were doing the Purdue Wisconsin game on a Friday night, and then we flew direct from Indianapolis the next morning to Phoenix to do the Saturday night game between SC and um, and Arizona State. Now it did help a little that we had seen SC two weeks earlier against Stanford at home, but you still have to formulate, update all your stats on your board. Uh, what I do is I, it's last game first, first game last in your preparation, meaning uh, 
when I get home from my game on uh, Sunday, that we're doing Saturday uh, in Laramie, uh, I will already be looking at the depth charts for uh, both teams that I have in the Thursday game between Houston and uh, West Virginia. And I'll be formulating the board depth chart-wise on Sunday into Monday and looking at the tape from the games played uh, before, obviously West Virginia TCU last week because they don't play this week, and Houston's as well. But I do that on Sunday, Monday. I have that board completely done by the end of Monday, and when we get into Tuesday, because I'm going to have to leave for the game Thursday, uh, I'm going to have to leave no later than early Wednesday morning. I got to get on that board, and I got to do my cram study on the sec on the on the first game on Tuesday into Wednesday when I travel, and then when we have our meetings with the home coaches, which would be on um, on Wednesday uh, in Houston. Uh, I haven't even looked or even thought about the game that I'm going to do Saturday in Corvallis, Oregon. Okay, so last game first, first game last, and you just do. I don't want anything to get in the way of what's next. The next game is what matters most. It's going on the air. So I completely forget about the second one. And then you just look at it as a short week and and not and not think about the fact that you're actually doing two football games in, in three days uh, across three time zones. I mean, you just have to look at it that way. Uh, to be honest, it's not nearly as hard as doing eight teams, four games in the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament. That is the most taxing preparation I've ever had to go through. But I'll tell you, having done it and having done it, um, let's see, I did 16 NCAAs for CBS. And, um, yeah, so I did it 16 times uh, in my 18 years at CBS, and um, it was incredible. Um, but I call on that kind of uh, background in terms of your level of concentration to get it done. And while I'm doing it, I don't even think I'm excited. You know, I, yeah. it's a privilege. It's a privilege to get to do these games. And, uh, and in this day and time, it's a privilege to get to do these games at the game. Okay. I don't lose sight of the fact that some of these guys are having to do it in a basement Can't imagine. Or, in a yeah. clo- or in a closet somewhere in some studio, whether it's in LA or, or, or Bristol, Connecticut or Charlotte or, uh, wherever they're doing the games from. I, I, I've not been asked to do that yet, and I hope that I, I never am asked to do that. Uh, but I, it looks like that's the wave of the future. I, I hope that uh, as time goes on and we get further and further away from COVID, uh, the demand for the announcers to be there is greater um, because it needs to be. The guys calling the game should be at the game. If you don't mind, one more question. In all the years you've covered, and you've covered huge events, and you mentioned game day and all of that, but yeah. and some of the other major sports as well, was there ever a time in your career when you got so much early that you didn't appreciate it at one point and you had to take a deep breath and smell the roses? Yeah. Yeah, I was guilty of that, Smokey. I, I was. I I, uh, I think the, the one thing that happened in my career this past week, uh, Sean McManus, my old boss at CBS, uh, decided to retire after 27 years uh, as the president and later chairman uh, at CBS. Uh, as the son of Jim McKay, uh, going into the business the way he did, but not to be like his father, but to do the things that uh, he was having to do for his his father's bosses. 
he fashioned himself as someone that wanted to one day run a network, not call a, a championship game. And he realized that dream. He's only a couple of years older than me. And um, when I worked at CBS, uh, I he knew I was a, an historian and how much I thought of his dad and the people that worked with him. And Kurt Gowdy being my hero, which, by the way, as you know, that's Wyoming. That's where Kurt went to school. Mm-hmm. They have a state park named for him. Uh, 20 miles outside Laramie, Wyoming, so I can't wait to go there. I talked to his son, Kurt Jr., who's retired. He, like Sean, was running a network. He was running SNY in New York after a sterling Emmy Award-winning career as uh, the leader of Wide World Sports at ABC. And I let him know that I was so psyched to be going where Kurt was as a player. You know, he's in the Hall of Fame for basketball and for tennis at Wyoming before he even became a legendary broadcaster. But but Sean was talking about um, the time to step away, the time that he put in and the time to step away. When, when I got complacent, uh, and maybe to some extent uh, I say complacent, I, not on the air, but complacent about my position, was probably about 10 years into my stay at CBS, where I felt like, okay, I'm here, this is what I'm supposed to do, and you just, you know, you just get through it. You just... And, and I think that I, I started taking the job itself for granted. Now, granted, I was doing still a lot of studio work as well as play-by-play because that's what they wanted me to do. And I was of greater value, I think, to them at that time by doing both studio as well as play-by-play, but a lot of both. I mean, a lot of both. I did five SEC games in years when I was still the studio host, but whenever we had uh, double-ups where we had two games, they would send us out. Either I would be with Steve Berline or they'd send Spencer with me or they'd uh, give me Aaron Taylor or someone else to work with. Uh, and I wanted to do those games. I mean, that was part of my deal. But I think I got complacent or, shall we say, uh, not not taking time to, to realize what a privilege it was and, uh, and smell the, the roses, as you like to put it. And uh, as a result... Uh, when when it came time for me to, uh, to to face the music at a time when I felt like, hey, I should be doing the regional finals again, and I'm not, uh, I, I, I became maybe a little bit uh, concerned about whether I was uh, still one of the ace guys that they had at CBS. Uh, and as you know, I had an abrupt exit from there. Uh, and when I did exit, uh, I was to some extent responsible for it. Uh, and I understand that now. Uh, and I, I've, uh, the bitterness that I felt at the time when I left CBS was erased very quickly when for eight months I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to CBS's credit, to, to Sean's credit, he allowed me because they there were items on their end too that they were responsible for, but I was also culpable. Uh, and they allowed me because of my time spent 18 years there to sort of handle the narrative on my exit. Uh, and when the time came for uh, Fox to vet me, uh, they were very kind in saying what they said about me so that I would have this sort of golden parachute and wind up at Fox Sports and, and not take a step further down in the business. Uh, I actually enhanced my career by leaving CBS and going to Fox, but for about seven or eight months, of time as a free agent, I didn't know what was going to happen, how it was going to land. Would my career be over at 58? 
And I think that I was responsible in some measure for that because uh, I didn't have my head screwed on exactly right. I needed to be thinking about what an honor it still was to do this. You know, when you do something for 30 years, it's easy to start thinking, okay, well, this is what I do. This is where I'm, this is where I'm slotted and this is going to be as good as it gets. And, and you forget to continue to improve and to get better. I, I think I lost some of my mojo. And uh, ever since I've been at Fox, I've been as enthusiastic about every game I've ever done as I've ever been. I view each game that's in front of me as the next great game. And when someone says to me, uh, or you see it on social media, Tim, should, you should be doing a bigger game. I'm like, hell, I thought my game was great. Mm-hmm. I love the game I did. And uh, I can't imagine being any other place than where Spencer and I were. And so when they asked me to do two games uh, in three days or two games in two days to me, that means that Brando's got his mojo back, Yep, uh, that they want me on those games, and I'm glad that they do. Tim, we're glad you're with us when you can be, and, and I know the schedule sometimes is so tight that you can't, but we appreciate <laughs> it anytime, and we'll always reach out to you. Good luck with all of what's in front of you. Thank you for the knowledge, the truth serum, and also the time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.